Well, those of you who've been here for a while understand, as Pastor Chris mentioned, we're having some streaming problems, so I don't know what position that's in right now, but I'm going to preach as if we are all online. And so I'm greeting those of you that are watching online by faith. And when we came in, we found out that the computer that does that had crashed, and then the lights in here started flickering. So I told him, if i got to hold a flashlight up here and preach, I'm preaching today. Amen. Because I know what God has, and God has for us to do. But I'm not Rust Half, and uh, those of you that may have come to hear Rust Half, um, you, if I opened my mouth to sing, you'd know I'm not Rust Half. Um, and I just believe, it's interesting, because I believe, uh, I don't believe God caused the storm, but I believe this is an opportunity he wants to take. There's something God wants to do here, in us, first of all, and then among us, and then through us. My wife shared with me on the way over, just mentioned a scripture, and it's so true. Where two or more of us are gathered in his name, there is he in our midst. So Jesus is here in our midst today, and he's there with you at home. So we're expecting great things. Praise the Lord. We're in a series, if it's because I didn't get to finish last week's message, so when I realized that he wasn't going to be coming, and I was going to be ministering to death, so it gives me a chance to finish that message. So I was in here yesterday working on it, and I really felt the Lord focus down on one aspect of something we talked about last week. So we're in a series called Pulling Back the Curtain. I don't know if they can put that up there or not, because we're shorthanded, and there's some other things that just aren't working quite right right now, but God's Word's going to come forth. Uh, and it's talking about, the uh, if you go to a theater, when you're st- sitting in the, in the uh, audience before the, th- this, the, the play starts, there's a curtain there. And you can't see what's on the other side of the curtain. It's already been prepared. The, the, the script has been written. The actors have been chosen. They've been rehearsing, and everything's ready to go. But it's behind that curtain, and you can't see what it is. You can't see what the, what the stage looks like. You can't see the props. But once the curtain is pulled back or is raised, you can begin to see what's behind that curtain. And the Bible talks about a curtain. It doesn't use the term curtain. It uses veil. And it refers to our flesh, which is not just this piece of meat, but it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the part of our life, which is a major part of our life, that's lived within the boundaries of our five senses. Things that we see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And, 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 and in our mind, it, it's we, we, when we teach about this, we call it the natural world or the world out there. And that's what we live in almost all of our time. But the Bible teaches us that there's another realm, there's another world out there, the spirit world, which is eternal. It's more real than this natural world. And it is eternal, and it is where God lives. It is where it is the spirit realm where you're going to go one of two places, but it's in that spirit realm. And that realm is affecting our lives. It is an influence on our world that's in us. A lot of the drama that's going on in our world today, but from pandemic and racial tensions and strife and other problems going around in the world are ultimately orchestrated by spiritual beings that are behind that curtain. And so we've learned that, that it's important to be aware of that behind that curtain because that's where prayer operates. Prayer brings the power of God to bear primarily on those spiritual beings behind the curtain that are affecting our lives here. Uh, uh, we relation with a God, our Father, who is a Father, but He's behind that curtain. So it requires faith, which sees behind that curtain, in order to have a relationship with Him. And, and we looked about some other aspects of it. And then we began to look at that there is the real you is behind that curtain. 
And that's the real you on the inside of you. The Bible teaches us that there are three parts to you. There is your physical body, which is the part of me that you're seeing, the part of you that you cleaned up and brought in here and plunked down in that chair. It's the part of us that we're the most conscious of because it's the part of us that we've spent the most time focusing on. But in reality, it's the only, it's your earth suit. It's the thing you need to operate in this physical material realm. But that's not the real you. The real you is the spirit being on the inside of you, a spirit being just as much as their spirit beings on the other side of that, of that curtain. And that spirit being on the inside of you, if you've come to Christ and received Christ, has been born of God. And so God lives in you. And so we began to spend time, what, who are you really on the inside? And now we've been talking about learning how to live behind that curtain, live more conscious of what's behind that curtain in you and in this spirit realm. So the scripture we're relying on for that is in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 says, "Then I say then, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Stay there. Walking in the spirit means living your life more aware of the spirit being on the inside of you, who you are, and than you are of the world that's around you more conscious of that, and it's a process that you grow in. And then we're going to, so I'm not going to go to the next scripture. We're just kind of reviewing very quickly right now. So that's what we're talking about. How do we live behind that curtain? How do we live more aware of, 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 of the spirit realm that's inside of us? And then last week we looked in Ezekiel and we saw that when God was talking through Ezekiel, the great prophet, of what he was going to do for us, he says that I will come and take your heart of stone out of you. That's the heart that was in us before we came to Christ. It's a stone is hard. It's insensitive. It's cold. And I will put in you a new heart, a heart of flesh that's alive. And it's alive unto God. It's alive unto the spirit realm. But then he went another step further. He said, and I will take my spirit, God's spirit, and I will put my spirit in you. So if you are in Christ, if you've received Christ and given your life to Christ, then the Bible tells us what God has done. You're a new creature. The real you is now a new being, but God has put his own spirit within you. And then we saw how um, Jesus, when he began his public ministry, we talked about when Jesus, when God came to this earth in, as, as his son, he, he put on a human body, an earth suit, so that God could walk around and function in this earth realm. And so his body was a human body, but the real person on the inside was God's son. And he laid aside all of his attributes, his glory, and his power as the son of God. He left those in heaven and came to earth to be a man and God and man combined together. And then we saw in Matthew chapter 3 that when Jesus began his public ministry, he came down to the river Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist under the rite of baptism that was existed under the Old Testament law. And we saw John objected to his because he knew who he was. He said, no, no, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, I have to do this to fulfill the requirements of the Old Testament law. But once he came up out of that water, out of humility and obedience, then the, it, the Bible says that the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, came and descended upon him and anointed him. 
And everything Jesus did from that point on, the miracles he did, the words that he spoke, all came by the enabling and empowerment of that spirit who God sent to dwell in him. And that's the same spirit God has sent to dwell in you. And so we begin to look at who is it that lives inside of us. So the purpose of today's message, as far as from what I sense, what's in my heart, is to whet your appetite. Because most of us have been Christians for a while. And we're used to coming to church. We know these scriptures. I preach these for, I've been a Christian 43 years. I preach these things over and over again. I've got courses I wrote for the school of ministry we had on these things. But I'm experiencing something I've never experienced before. I'm experiencing the reality of the Spirit of God inside of me and of God's presence inside of me like I've never experienced before. And I want to whet your appetite so that you desire the same thing I'm beginning. And I'm just beginning in this. There's so much more. So to do this, let's go back to something we talked about last week. So Jesus is now operating in his ministry. He's begun, he's, he's, he's performed his first miracle, which was the wedding in Canaan. He turned the water into wine. We're not going to that subject. And now in chapter 4 of, of John, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, we talked about, I'm not going to go back and spend a lot of time on the background of this because we talked about this last week. But here you've got the Son of God, at, the, at a well, having an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And we mentioned last week that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. It was a racial issue. We don't have time to go into the background of this. Not only that, men in that day did not speak to an unaccompanied woman. <clears throat> and she's coming in the middle of the day because if you read further in the story, she's got, had five husbands. She has a reputation. She's had five husbands and she's now living with somebody who's not her husband. So when the rest of the women of the town come up to draw their water early in the morning, she can't come with them because she's an outcast. Her life is a mess. But who comes to meet her at the heat of the day but God in human flesh? And he comes to introduce himself to her. And he gets into this discussion with her, and he tells to her, she said, Jesus answered and said, we're picking up in the middle of this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Go on to the next verse. The woman said to her, sir, you don't have anything to draw with, and this well is deep. How are you going to give me living water? Next verse. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Keep going. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain or a source of water springing up to everlasting life. Water refers to what's necessary for life. But in the middle of the day, this woman's got to be very thirsty because the climate there is very hot, very dry. The sun beats down at noon at the highest point. And the thing you need most of all is water because your body is crying out for it 
It's thirsty. I thirst. And so water here represents that which will satisfy and quench that thirst. But Jesus is referring to a thirst that's deep inside of her soul that's much more powerful thirst than the thirst that's on her tongue at 12 o'clock or noon on this day. It's a thirst that's down in every one of our hearts for to be loved, to be important, to be needed, to have significance, to not be alone. Down inside of us, because God made us to be in relationship with Him and to be in relationship with everyone else. And if we're not walking in that, then there's going to be a hunger and a thirst deep down inside. And we try to satisfy that thirst with many other things that this world offers. We try to satisfy this thirst by building thing, material things into our lives so that I've got a new car. That means I'm, I feel better. People in my neighbor are going to think more of me. We try to build a, a relationship. We just care about how we look, and we should look nice. But we spend so much time being concerned with how we look because we're concerned with what other people think of us because what they think of us is what we think is going to satisfy that thirst. And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, who's talking to you right now, you would ask of me, and I would give you living water that would become a fountain. A fountain is a source of water. Some, some translations say a well or a spring. So Jesus is talking here about when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you just as he came to live inside of Jesus. God has sent him to be in you this living water to spring up within you whenever you need it. Every day to be there as a source of direction, a source of comfort, a source of strength, no matter what you face that day, that cannot reach inside of you and turn that fountain off. Only you turn it off and only you turn it on. But God has promised that if you have come to Christ and received him, that he has put this source of water, this source of refreshing, this source of life in you that's far stronger than any life in your physical body. It's called eternal life. Eternal doesn't refer to how long. It refers to the quality of life. And the word for life there is the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. It's become popular as a girl's name. It literally means life at the level that God lives it. And God has put that life in you by his own spirit. So the question is, are we experiencing that? Not just in church when we sing the goodness of God and we get emotional and that's wonderful. But when you wake up in the middle of the night, when you get bad news come at you, when you come to church and find out that not only is there a hurricane bearing down on you, but the computer that does the streaming has gone down and the lights are flickering. (laughs) Or you come and wake up one morning and find out that that because of COVID a year ago that the churches have to shut down. Where do you turn? Where do you turn for, in first, for wisdom? Where do you turn? I've learned to turn 
to the source that's on the inside of me. Christ has been made unto me wisdom. Has been made unto me wisdom. That wisdom that you need every day is in you. Every morning when you get up. But we turn to CNN or Fox News or social media to get wisdom. When the wisdom of God is living in you. Untapped. Behind the curtain. Where are we living most? Jesus is saying that this fountain should be refreshing us. It should be satisfying the deepest needs in our heart. And this fountain should be real. Our young people today are are looking for something that's authentic, something that's real. And the reason so many of them have turned away from the church is they don't see anything that they believe is authentic and real because we've learned to walk through the religious motions of church. We've learned to walk through and come and we've just, you know, we don't print a bulletin because you don't need one because you know what we're going to do about what time. So we start with four songs. Somebody comes up, either Verda or Pastor Chris, or somebody comes up and does an announcement. Then Pastor John or some of the other pastors comes up and brings a message. We sing a song at the end, and we go home and do whatever we're going to do. And we get into this routine, and you have your own routine during your day. And young people, and really we all are, looking for something that's authentic, that's real. And the spirit of the living God is more authentic and more real than anything that this world can ever produce because he's God himself. So that's what we're going to start looking at. What is Jesus saying to us here? It's only by his spirit in us. Oh, let's go to John 4.23. Then she gets into what's happened in the meantime, for those of you who don't know. She says, give me that water. And Jesus now starts dealing with her life. He says, well, go call your, hus- call your husband. And she says, well, I don't have one. He said, that's right. You've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. She says, whoa, you're not just some guy trying to give me a drink. I perceive you're a prophet. And now she changes the subject, which is when God gets pressing in on us, we want to do she said, well, and our, our, our people, the Samaritans, believe that here's where we should worship God. And you, you Jews believe it's in Jerusalem where you should worship God. So she wants to get into a theological debate with him about the, where the right place to worship is. And he now uses this as an opportunity. He said, well, you don't, you, the, the Samaritans don't know where to worship, and the Jews do know where to worship. But he said, an hour's coming, and now is. Why? Because he was here. He's here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So if there are true worshipers, then there are worshipers who are not true. So there is a true worship, and there's worship that's not true. And what is the difference? For the Father is seeking such to worship him. That is such a powerful part of that verse. It's, he's talking about God's heart. We, we often don't think that God has emotions, maybe other than anger. 
We often don't think that God has desires, that God has longings. And the greatest longing God has is you. It's not just that you exist. It's not just that you get saved and go to heaven. His greatest desire is to have an intimate, real relationship with you where he can talk with you and you can talk with him. It's what was he created in the garden to begin with. He created this man and this woman so that he could walk with him and talk with him face to face in a relationship. And man's turned it into a religion that strips the relationship out of it and makes it a bunch of rules and procedures and acts and principles and doctrines, and we need doctrines. But we, we lose the relationship. But, but, but go to verse 24. You'll see why. For God is spirit. God is what's behind that curtain. He's not a human body. Christ is, but the Father's not. He is a spirit. Therefore, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, because he is a spirit, the only part of you that can communicate with him is your spirit. My car has a AM radio, FM radio, and a satellite radio. And somehow the default in my car, when I start it up, it goes to some AM station which I don't really want to listen to. So the receiver's tuned into AM, and I want to hear satellite. So I have to change the setting on my car, whatever it is, to the right wavelength. This room right now is filled with radio waves, it's filled with television waves, it's filled with short waves, and every other, a lot of other kind of waves. And now it's filled with my wife. Okay. I'm sorry. But you cannot pick up what's being communicated unless you have the right receiver and it's tuned in to that frequency. And Jesus is saying here the only receiver that's designed to receive a relation, to walk in a relationship and communicate with God is your spirit that God remade in you so you could do this. And the agent that does that is the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to go there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for him. But the spirit has been given to us to search the depths of God's heart and reveal to us the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And yet we live our lives, we may talk about the Holy Spirit, we may sing songs about the Holy Spirit, we may come and hear messages about the Holy Spirit, we may preach about the Holy Spirit and have no contact with or relationship with the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm here to whet your appetite this morning. Let's go quickly to Romans chapter 8. 
The Holy Spirit makes the presence of God a reality inside of you. Romans chapter 8. We're going to have to get down through this. The most important, to me, the most important chapter in the Bible. This is the gospel and everything else. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, get going. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Notice what it is, the law of Spirit of life. He is the life of God in you. And these first four or five verses talk about what Christ did for us that we could not do. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, the law required us to live up to a standard by our own efforts and we couldn't do it because our flesh is weak. The more you try to live righteously by your own efforts, the more you will not, will not live righteously by your own efforts. It's like telling yourself, I, I can't have ice cream today. And that's the very thing you're going to want. But God did it for you. What you could not do for yourself, God did for you. How? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's with a human body. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned our sin in His flesh. Keep going. Verse 5. All right, I'll give it to you. Whoops, we're still stuck on four. Okay. For those who live according to the flesh, this is what I wanted to get to. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's where most of us have been living. Live according to means trusting in, focused on, living on this side of the curtain, What do we do? We set our minds on the things on this side of the curtain. We're talking about how do I, how, if if the Spirit of God really is in me, and He has God's presence in me, and God wants this, Him to be real inside of me, so that I know He's there. How do I do this? Well, it's what do you set your mind on? Those who live according to the Spirit, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded, that it means if you're just focused on what's on this side of the curtain, it's death. It doesn't mean you're going to die. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. But it does not produce life. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I, I, I give you, I, I, I've got a time issue. I give you a short challenge. Take a week, and this may be hard for some of you, Instead of watching just regular television, read your Bible. And then watch regular television. And see what a difference you sense in you. Because to be spiritually minded brings life. Because that life is in you, it stirs it up. But to focus on nothing but of the stuff of this world begins to dampen it. But he's in there. It's just you're turning the wrong switch on. Verse 7. Because carnal-minded man is at enemy with God, for he's not subject to the law of God, and yet he cannot be. Keep going. Verse 8. We're going to go right on down through there. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. doesn't mean God doesn't love you, but when we do things by our own effort on this side, of it's not pleasing to God. 
But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So he's talking, about, he's talking about here, if God's Spirit is in you, then you belong to Him. But you may not be operating in relationship with the Spirit, but He's in you. So if He's in you, you are alive unto God. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, though the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Keep going. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will raise up or quicken, the word is, your dead from the dead, and will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. So that's not just talking about the resurrection. His Spirit inside of you will bring life to you. It will release the life of God in you. In fact, when you, are, when you receive healing, it doesn't come down from heaven. It comes out of you. If you need healing this morning, that healing power is in you now. But we're not in contact with Him. We're not trusting Him. We're not used to yielding to Him and letting Him flow through us. We're trying to get something as if it's outside of us. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you're putting death, the deeds of the body you live. So that, you know, I just don't have time to go into all that. Verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So God's Spirit will lead you if you let Him. This is what I want. If, for you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That Spirit inside of you is proof you are God's child. And He's in you helping you cry out to God, Abba, Father. Abba is the, is the Aramaic term for daddy. And we, years ago, we had a, 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 a Christian Arab uh, preacher here. And I got talking about this word, and he says, you understand what this word means in Arabic? It's the, it's the cry of a child that's in distress, if you've ever been a parent and you've had a small child and you hear there's a difference when they're in distress and they cry out, maybe from the crib or somewhere else, and there's something that impels you that you have to go to that child and meet that need. That's what that word means. So when you cry out, Abba, Father, it stirs his heart. It touches his heart. It moves his heart. Verse 17. For the 16. For the Spirit Himself bears witness with our, with our spirit that we are children of God. Oh, one more. What, what does that mean, Lord? That He bears witness with our spirit. Well, I used to think the fact that He's in there bears witness, but I'm growing to learn no, He is the contact of God. He is God's presence in us, and He wants to talk with us. He wants to show us things, give us understanding. And as he does that, it bears witness with us. It shows us that we are literally God's child because he wants to talk with you. A while ago, I was going through a challenging situation. Something just I thought should work wasn't working. And I, I was tempted to feel sorry for myself. I, that, I can do that. Not as easily as some of you, but I can do it. And I'm, I'm just, but I turned inside. I said, Lord, what's, what is this? And I, it wasn't a voice. I just opened to something. A lot of times he'll lead me by, I'll just read the thing I need to read. But I know it's him, and I acknowledge it. And I said, I said he said, I am training you to know the difference between your spirit and your flesh in these situations. 
And I said, suddenly verses started coming to me. Hebrews 12.5. Because he's my father, he will discipline me. He will train me. He will, in, in holiness and righteousness. So he's at work in me. And that made me feel closer to my father because a father will do that for his child. That's what I want to whet your appetite for. I want to close with a quote. This is from a little book by A.W. Tozer called How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. I've read so many books on how many to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But this book touched me. It was the right time. He says, he's talking about evidence to the world that Christianity is real. And so often what we try to do is provide an external evidence. So when we see that somebody famous has gotten saved, we, say, we hold them up and say, see, this is proof that Christ is real because so-and-so got saved, they received Christ. Or, or, or we talk about the great things that the church is doing. But he says that's not biblical. It's not that it's wrong. It's not the strongest evidence that God has. The strongest evidence that God has is what the Spirit can do inside of a man. Yes. That he's alive. And that's what I want to whet your appetite with. He's becoming more and more alive in me. And I said, I've been a Christian 43 years. I've never been experiencing his presence in me like I am now. And I'm jealous for you to taste it. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not believe and see. Taste it. When we were in Los Angeles back in May visiting our sons out there, they have weird things out there. And so they took us to this this, uh, ice cream place that had weird flavors in there, like kale ice cream. Mm. But what they would let you do is they would give you little plastic spoons so you could taste and see whether that ice cream was good so that you would enjoy the fullness of that ice cream. So the Holy Spirit dips into God a little taste. Come here, taste. Just taste him. Give me a chance. Taste, t- taste him. Taste and see his goodness. Taste and see how much he loves you. Taste and see how real he is inside of you. Taste and see what he wants to trans- how he wants to transform your life. Drive fear out of your life. Yes. Give you hope. Satisfy the deepest longings that are in your heart you don't even know you have, and some of them drive you to do things you don't understand why you do them. But taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But he says there's another kind of evidence it's the immediate evidence of the inner life. This is the evidence by which you know you are alive. Now, listen to this carefully. If I were to try to prove to you that you're not alive, you just chuckle and go home, just as alive as you are now and not a bit worried about it because you have the instant and unmediated evidence of internal life. In other words, if, if I were to say to you, you know, Richard, I really don't think you're alive. I, I don't think you're alive. You're just going to kind of think, what's wrong with Pastor John today or is he joking? Because you know you're alive because you know by experience right now, you're experiencing your own life within you. And that's the evidence that you have, the proof you have that you're alive right now. 
It's sometimes funny. I'll go to a doctor and he'll tell you, I can't find your pulse right now. I said, well, I guess I'm not alive. <laughs> and I'm joking, obviously, because I know I'm alive. I don't care whether they find the pulse or not. I know I'm alive because I'm experiencing that life inside of me. Jesus Christ wanted to take religion out of the external and make it internal and put it on the same level as life itself so that a man knows, he knows, listen to this carefully, so that a man knows that he knows God the same way that he knows he is himself and not somebody else. He knows he knows God the same as he knows that he's alive and not dead. So I can know God to an even greater knowledge that he's real than I know that I'm real and alive. And this is what God wants. And listen carefully. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit came to carry the evidence of Christianity from the books of apologetics into the human heart. And that is exactly what he does. If you want that quote, it's in my notes that are posted for today. I want to close with a question. Now, I'm not asking you to answer it right now, but this is something you need to meditate on. How real, how real is God's Spirit in you today? I'm not asking, do you believe He's in there? I'm not asking, can you tell me scriptures? I'm asking, how real is He to you? And by real, I mean the same way you know you're real. You know you're real. In the same way, do you know the Spirit of God in you is real. You're not going to know this with your mind. You're going to know this down in your heart. Have you ever experienced Him down in your innermost being? Or is your knowledge of Him only a mental knowing or belief? There's a quote I've read before by another great writer who said, for most Christians, God's reality is just an inference we make. We believe He's there because we read it in the Word, but it's a mental belief. But God wants you to know Him. He wants to be more real to you than your spouse. And that's not to take away from your spouse. He wants to be more real to you than the chair you're sitting in. He wants to be more real to you than you are to yourself. And that is possible because that's the desire of God's heart. And He longs for you to know him that way. And he longs to know you that way. Let's pray. Father, we're heard today.